Welcome to episode 13 of the Caught Red-Handed podcast. This is the first in a four-part series of the Caught Red-Handed podcast bridal panel. The first guest in this panel is Sumaya Hussein, formerly Rahman. I have always drooled over photos of Sumaya's work and I've always heard really great things about her from everyone who knows her or who has met her in person. So I was really looking forward to meeting her in this conversation. What no one told me about her is that she is quite the little chatterbox and talks really fast. Fortunately, I've lived in New York City for 25 years and I'm pretty much used to a quick pace of conversation, so it went okay. This is a slightly shorter podcast than most, but that's mostly because we covered so many topics and said so many words in a very short amount of time. Strangely enough, Somaya claimed that she was nervous about talking to me. You can tell from the interview, she sure doesn't sound nervous. And just a note to all future guests, please know that I also feel nervous talking to you. Some of you are my heroes, some of you I admire very much, so I also get nervous. So uh, hopefully we can all just chill out and have a good conversation. So my usual section of a day in the henna life of Kenzie is a short, short story. I had one gig this past weekend, a birthday party for a former bridal client who hires me every year to do henna for her friends. This is one of my favorite gigs every year, and it's also the type of gig that I really love, one where I get to chill with a bunch of really cool, interesting, funny, smart women who want whatever creative design I can crank out for them, and then shower me with praise. It's a pretty awesome job, I have to say. I'm really inspired by their trust in me, which pulls me out of my rut, which is these days that typical Mendy strip. Also, my hostess always plies me with food and drink, and she tips me, and she always gives me a goodie bag. So I really feel like a guest when I'm there. She treats me really well. And I am still really enjoying a gift from her goodie bag from two years ago. She is also my go-to girl whenever I need a model for a new design or photo shoot. She's game to try anything, even being dolled up as a zombie bride. So the moral of the story is winter is for hibernation, for building up your strength for the busy henna season to come and getting out of your usual habits. And then also really important, making sure to spend some time with really cool people who inspire you, whether they're clients or friends or other henna artists. This should set you up for a really awesome year of henna to come for that period of the year when the puddles thaw and the trees start to bud. So let's talk to a cool and inspiring person, Sumeya Hussein, formerly Rahman. Enjoy the episode. I'm here with Sumeya, uh, formerly Rahman, but now she's Sumeya Hussein, and you probably know her as Henna Craze online. Um, so Sumeya, thanks for coming and talking to me on this bridal panel. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I was so excited to to be asked to join. It was it was it was awesome. Oh, I love that. Good. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a couple boring questions that you probably always get asked <laughs> while you're henning people. So okay. how long have you been doing henna? 
Uh, okay, so I have like this rote memorization, memorized yes. kind of answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to try not to do that because I tend to say that in a very like, la 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 sort yeah. of voice. And I sound so, like a robot when I say yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I sound like a robot when I talk like that. So, well, I started doing henna um, about now, I'd say 12 years ago. Started doing henna in about um, 2001, 2002, around that time. But um, I didn't actually like, you know, I, I, did, I did henna maybe on and off for like a year and then I didn't really get really that into it. Um, but then there was some period and I can't remember, I think it was like maybe probably 2003 around 2000. Yeah. Probably about 2003 where I just got obsessed with henna and I did henna every day um, wow. as often as I could. And it was, no, I think it was two years. Yeah. It was, I think I want to say 2003 to 2005. And that's when I was just like really obsessed and numb. And the reason why I became obsessed with Hannah is because I saw some people's amazing work on Flickr. And uh, one of those people. Oh, no. I did not set this up, I swear. (laughs) And I saw I saw Nick's work and I saw Kenzie's work and I saw Kiran's some of uh, Kiran's from the UK, some of her early work. Yeah. And um, I remember I was just like, so like, wow, this is like the most amazing henna I've ever seen. So I just wanted to try to replicate whatever I could. Oh, cool. um, and uh, yeah, so I, I did that. And then um, around 2006 is when I started uh, getting paid for doing henna and stuff. Oh, wow. But uh, before that, I did it basically for free for anyone who would sit in front of me. Yeah. And, yeah. And then after 2006, I guess that's when it really kind of took off. Um, and I realized eventually that I'm like, hey, I can actually kind of make this a job, so to speak. And, you know, yeah. I can actually, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it worked out. So I'm glad. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And, um, where is your family from? My family's originally from Pakistan. We're from Lahore. We're Punjabis. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so a lot of people actually tend to think they're like, Oh, you know, when people are like, oh, does your mom do henna or do your sisters do henna? And I'm like, no, not really. I mean, my mom never did henna, but growing up, obviously it's in our culture. So I, I'm not going to yeah. say, Oh my God, you know, I just, Wow, it was for for a lot of Americans who do pick up henna. It really is something that is that totally that, new. Totally new. That's yeah. that you can actually say yes. I kind of, you know, did this on my own. For me, I really can't claim that because it was henna something that um you know I grew up with since I was so young. And the first time that I did henna, actually, I, sh- I should maybe I can tell the story. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, the first time that I did henna, the reason why I started doing henna is uh, when I was around 10 years old, we were having this fundraiser at my mosque. And it was basically what they would do. It's not even like a fundraiser. What they do is um, the day before Eid, uh, all the women like to sit together and get their henna done. Yeah. And so they they thought, okay, this is like a good way to get all the girls, young girls together in the community, and then we can all do henna. And it was just like a really chill night. Um, and what we would do is everyone everyone who was coming in would just pay $5 to get their henna done. And none of us knew really how to do it. I mean, we were pretty bad <laughs> at it. But, um, you know, there's there's like one or two people who, who were actually kind of like decent. And everybody would just be like lined up behind them. And I remember one year there just was a whole bunch of ladies that showed up. And, and the organizer, she just got nervous. And she was just like looking for anyone, anyone that she could just throw a henna cone to. And my older sister was one of those girls who, you know, she wasn't good at it. But she she was like one of the people who had volunteered to, okay, yeah, I'll like draw circles on people's hands. <laughs> so, um the organizer threw the henna cone at me and she's like, okay, you, you can do it. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to do it. She's like, no, no, that's okay. Just, just watch your sister. You can do it. So <laughs> I said, okay, fine. Um, and I remember I, I like the one, this one lady came with her like little girl and, um, the little girl ended up going to someone else to get henna done. 
And I told the the lady straight up, I'm like, listen, I've never done this before. This is the first time I'm holding a henna cone, so I, I'm going to suck. She's like, oh, no, no, don't worry. I just want something very simple. I want the traditional round circle, you know, and just the stuff on the tips of the, the you know, the tips of the finger. And um, if if any of you guys are familiar with um, traditional Indian Pakistani designs, you know, this is this is like the, the yeah. most traditional design. Yeah, it's exactly. like you know, the dot in the center of the palm with a little bit on the finger. So, yeah. Um, so that's all she wanted to do. I'm like, okay, simple enough. I'll have to do this big, do a big dot. No, and she didn't even want like any embellishments, nothing at all. And, um, so like now I know when I'm doing a dot, okay, what you do is you're supposed to start like at the center. You put a tip, you know, a point at the center of that person's hand and you kind of work outward from yeah. that, from that point. Um, so that you can make the circle be, you know, proportionate to their hand. But what I did at that time is I drew this huge circle, like going from like her thumb and then right under the fingers. And by the time I fin and, and in, in my attempt to try to get it an actual circle and not lopsided, it ended up getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually like her entire hand was just like a big blob and she's just looking at it. Oh my and I'm God. looking at her and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, so. I did warn you. My- yeah, I did warn you. I mean, she wasn't, she was like, oh, okay. You know what she did? I don't think she cared that much. She was, she just wanted the henna for the sake of having henna. Yeah. Um, so, you know, she was just thought, okay, whatever, you know, but, and, and I remember that day I was like, wow, I am so bad at this. I was so embarrassed. I didn't do anyone else's henna that day, even though like, you know, they needed help. And I was like, yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm not screwing up anyone else's hands. So, um, so yeah, that was my first kind of attempt into henna. And because of how bad I was, that was my, I think that was one of the reasons I started doing henna. Cause I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going <laughs> to, you know, it was a challenge. Yeah, I get this. The other reason was also because my sisters were always every Eve, we would get this, you know, we would they would end up being kind of uh, bullied or talked or whatever you want to say into doing this henna event at the at the mosque. So they would always be so tired, they'd never have time to do my henna. And I would always just be like waiting and waiting. And I remember at like 1am in the morning, I'm like, please. And she's like, I'm so tired. I can't know. So I'd never have henna on for Eve. And I would be so sad. Um, And this is before I think this is uh, before the time when like, I mean, this is, I, this is probably like 1998, 99, 2000, 2001, right? So, like, this is before when um, we really knew that there were, like, that you could find henna artists, like, actual henna artists in, in, oh, in the U.S. Yeah. Now it's yeah. very common, right? It's yeah. not like, but especially back then in Michigan, it was rare. yeah, you can find someone who does decent henna. And, but at that time, it was just like, none of that was common. So it yeah. was just either you knew someone from you know Pakistan some some young girl who kind of knows how to do something and you know yeah so that's what we used to do yeah wow. and I think the reason why I started was because of the kind of challenge of okay I just want to learn and I, I want to <laughs> learn to do this myself and that's it so. yeah you get that bug and you're like I don't know if I could ever do this but I want to try it yes exactly yeah, yeah. so that's why I, I started that was my little story <laughs> so did you ever do any other kind of art um, yeah, I was, I've always been into art. I did, um, I had this stage, uh, several years when I was young. I still have, uh, um, the, these, uh, sketchbooks filled with manga drawings. I was really into, um, anime and, oh, and, manga I love that and stuff. Japanese, like uh, my favorite show was Sailor Moon. Okay. That, oh, was, God. Uh, that was like, I mean, I look back at that show and I'm like, this is the corniest show I've ever seen, but yeah. that was like my favorite show. And I would sit there and I would, um, you know, draw out the characters. And I, yeah. I always enjoyed sketching. Uh, I would also just go and sit and just, I'd like take a sketchbook and sit outside and just sketch. I enjoy painting. Um, I still paint. Uh, I still sketch too, but nowadays I don't, I mean, I don't really sketch like things other than henna anymore, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but I do paint things other than henna. So oh, that's, that's cool. still there. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But I've always been into art. I, I really enjoy that. So, yeah. <laughs> so what percentage of your... Um... What percentage of your work is bridal henna? Like what per- percentage, percentage yeah, compared to the other things that you do? Okay, so I did recently move. I used to live in Michigan, and uh, that's where my business was kind of really well established, and that's where oh, everyone okay. knew about me. Um, and uh, I moved to Chicago in March of this year. Oh, okay. So things have been definitely picking up in Chicago, but um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually talk more about my Michigan years because Chicago has been – you know, I, I just kind of started up in Chicago, and so I've been getting, obviously, less gigs than I would in Michigan anyways. But I'm still, I mean, I'm getting more now, um, literally, uh-huh. like, November and December than wow. I have, like, for the year, which is really weird because I feel like this is my summer season going on right now. It's it's kind of strange. But I think it's just that because people are finding out about me now yeah. that I've been here for some time. So, um, But in Michigan, I would say probably about, like, 80% of my gigs were brides. Um, almost like maybe even more than that. Um, I do, I mean, in Michigan, it was, I did mostly bridal henna. I did not do, um, I mean, I did the corporate event here or there. I also did uh, a lot of bridal parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those were, it was usually for, I'm coming back for the same, same family. Like I did the bride's henna one day and then I would come back and do the bridal party the next day. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I did a lot of brides. I think wow. um, probably like, for me, um, at least in Michigan, because it, I've been doing it there for quite some time, and it was, you know, I'm uh, definitely well more well established or better established there than I am here. I was doing probably about um, 60, 65 brides in a wow. year, something like that. It was an insane number. I, That's I, insane, yeah. Yeah, I was. I mean, I normally had about um, two to three bridal gigs in a week in this uh like in my not so crazy days and then you know as as we all do that like labor day memorial day weekend those those weekends are just insane and then summertime it just gets kind of crazier so yeah yeah about that yeah and some of them were you know every bride is different too that not everyone is getting like full-on bridal i wouldn't i wouldn't say i got like that many people who were hiring for like the full Indian bridal, like up to the elbows. Yeah. Um, I get a fair number of those, but like not as many of those um, as like uh, I, most people, I think it's also because of the pricing, most people hire and they want like the half um, kind of like, you know, henna going up halfway between yeah. their elbow and their wrist. Yeah. So it's mostly what most of my brides were, but yeah. um, still a good number who would go all the way up to the elbows as well. So. Yeah. So what are your clients? Are they usually Pakistani or are they, do you have a big variety? And also, are they mostly Muslim since you're Muslim and Pakistani? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, most of my clients are actually not Pakistani. Uh, most of my clients were Indian uh, mm-hmm. and they were Hindu. They're um, Sikh. They're um, different, different religions. And most of them are Indian. I, I always say this and I say this with a laugh because I'm Pakistani. So I'm like, whatever, I can say this. I don't care if Pakistanis get offended, but <laughs> to be quite honest, Pakistanis um, do not have as much of a sense of like refined sense of henna. Okay. <laughs> so, I, that's all I'm going to say. Pakistani brides spend, um, you know, they don't, most Pakistani brides are not too crazy about having like intense henna. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, like intense bridal henna. And yeah. for that reason, and they also are not too crazy about you know spending quite a lot for it oh yeah um, so you're saying yeah. yeah so it's i get mostly indian brides um and in, i i've noticed like gujarati south indian brides um uh sikh brides they're just they love henna and they the thing is i feel like with indian maybe indian brides are a little bit more picky like they're a little bit more um like spoiled 
Yeah, they they recognize good henna. Is yeah. What it, you and know, so they and, want good henna. Yeah, so they, they want good henna, exactly. Yeah. Whereas, um, I mean, it's just been my experience with, I mean, I literally, I think out of the year, I would get, you know, few Pakistani clients, few yeah. Pakistani clients. Mostly I get Indian clients because a lot of the Pakistani clients would contact me. But then, you know, with the with my prices and mm-hmm. um, it, they thought it was a little bit too much. Yeah. Like they didn't want to pay that, uh, pay that price for it. Whereas with Indians, they're like, oh, wow, this is great. Yeah, okay, I'm hiring you right away. Yeah. So, um, I mean, and obviously I'm not gonna, I, I, I don't want to like, you know, draw, <laughs> like, I don't want to say that this is across the board. Of course I did get Pakistani brides who were like very picky too. I have some yeah. Pakistani brides who are picky, yeah. but what I've seen overall. mostly, yeah, overall is that yeah. the Indian brides tend to be far more picky. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that explains why I get so few Pakistani clients. I've had yeah. maybe a handful in my I don't know. I mean, and the thing also is in Pakistan, you know, it's not a huge fashion to get like um, full blown traditional Indian style henna, like, you know, as in intricate and covering everything. In Pakistan, what is, uh, I think, a little bit more like uh, trendy right now, at least, is uh, like the more Arabic style henna, um, more open space. Like, a lot of Pakistani brides are actually okay with that. Like, if I am going to a, you know, Sangeet event and there's Pakistanis there, a lot of Pakistanis are actually okay with having, you know, like even the aunties will be like, yes, I just want a little bit. Like they don't like their whole handful. Okay. Whereas, you know, Indians, yeah. they're like, yeah, um, I see some empty space at the tip of this finger and you need to fill in sort of thing, so. Especially the aunties and the grandmas. Yes, yes, exactly. So, <laughs> totally. you know, it, I, I mean, it's different. And I also think it's just, it's whatever, you know, it, it's a little bit different um, in India versus Pakistan. It definitely is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I had no idea. And that yeah. explains why I've had so few Pakistani brides. Although I just on Friday I had a Pakistani bride and she's also from Lahore. So mm-hmm. strange yeah. coincidences. So that's nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even like my, my sister-in-law, um, when uh, obviously I, I do henna, so I'm like, <laughs> choose whatever you want. Like, I don't care when uh, my brother got married, like about uh, two months after I did actually. <laughs> um, yeah, it was funny. We had a lot of weddings in the family nice. <laughs> right after one another, but, or wedding events, I would say, uh, since each wedding consists of like five events. Oh, but yeah. It's, that was great. Um, yeah, but my sister-in-law, even she, when she, you know, came, she's like, yeah, I like the more Arabic style, you know, I like mm. the more, and I was surprised because I, I thought, at first I thought she might, because, you know, she's from Pakistan. She uh, has lived in Lahore all her life. So uh-huh. I thought that she would want, you know, maybe full-on bridal henna or, you know, she'd want more or whatever it was. But um, no, she wanted like, she did want more as in, like she wanted to go up to the elbow, but she wanted loose Arabic style with like yeah, empty space open. in between. Yeah, so. well, that's funny. Yeah, it was. It was interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay, no, I was just gonna say I, I shared this story at uh, the HIR, the Hen Intensive and Retreat, yeah. and we we're talking about um, just different sorts of clients. And I, I mean, I'm talking about you know certain groups of people wanting more henna versus less. But mm-hmm. I had a girl um, contact me, and she was uh, she was Jewish. She's American, white American, mm-hmm. Jewish girl getting married to a Hindu guy. And uh, Indian guy. And she said, you know, I thought I'm like, oh, you know, I mean, most American brides who contact me want very little henna. Okay, they are not gonna most American brides, as in every single one that I've had besides her. um, (laughs) They're not they just want, you know, they want like that first bridal package, which is why my first bridal package is basically both sides of both hands and a little bit on the feet. Yeah, you know. Um, so I thought that's what she wanted. I'm like, yeah, okay. And then this girl turns around and she's like, oh no, she has a, she chose the, the, one of the, I think the designs that's on the front page of the Asha Savla students 
competition book, which is a design book. It's it's a design with like it's just covered with figurines. Oh my god! It has, it's <laughs> like I mean, there were I remember in that design, I ended up doing twelve figurines, and oh it was god. so insane. It took me so long, and she was you know a white American girl, and I just was so blown away. I'm like, <laughs> how? Where? You know, like how is this happening? <laughs> well, let me tell you yeah. the perspective of a white American girl, and that is like that you get to be a princess and you get to like go totally overboard with all the bling and the sari and you know the henna and the jewelry so I can totally get that I can totally understand that attitude like giving as much henna as I can possibly get because it just feels so exotic and gorgeous yeah I mean you know I most of my other like American clients like if I have a you know American bride I, I do um I, I don't do as as many. I don't get as many American clients, uh, American clients who want bridal henna. That is, yeah, um, yeah. I don't get as many of those. Um, but I do. I would say probably like five or so in a year. Um, but uh, they always want something because they are, you know they usually they want they want something less. They don't want it to. Yeah. Um, they always tell me I don't want it to distract. From, my dress is like white. You know yeah. I don't want it to distract from that. So I'm like okay. So you know we are a lot of times they end up getting just the palms or just the feet. Yes. Or if they're gonna do something on both sides of both hands, it's very light on the front of the hands. You know. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's what I was expecting. And then this girl's like, Oh no, I want you know greens <laughs> going up my yeah. elbow, and then I want like you know full bridal style feet. Yeah. And I was like, Okay, sweetie, whatever you want. So. Yeah, I had a bride this. Um this spring and i i swear she married the guy just to get the henna because she was so into it oh, and she booked awesome. me like six months in advance and she was emailing yeah. me photos here and there during that six months oh, that's awesome she was obviously dreaming about it for a long time yeah. <laughs> yeah it's funny i noticed in chicago um since i moved to chicago i i have been getting more um american clients who are get wanting bridal henna and I just thought it was really funny. I was like, oh, I wasn't really getting as many of those in Michigan. But uh, here in Chicago, I've been getting, I think I have so far. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm saying that because in Chicago, I'm not doing as much henna anyways overall than I, yeah. that I was in Michigan right now. So I know I've had at least um, three brides um, in Chicago. And then I have two booked for next year who are American and who just want henna done for their weddings. And I was like, oh, okay, that's that's fine. That's <laughs> interesting. Awesome yeah. yeah. New clientele. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and start asking you some of the questions. These are questions that people have submitted through Facebook and okay. I collected them all together. And then I just, we got like 35 questions. So I narrowed it down to about 10 okay. um, and some of them kind of run into each other. So uh, it'll just be kind of a conversation as I go through these questions. Right. So the first one that I wanted to ask you was how you got your first bridal henna gig and, um, I guess how you knew you were ready for it or how you got yourself ready for it. Um, okay. I mean, I would consider my first, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about my first paid gig. Okay. Yeah, Cause fair. like I said, I did a bunch of henna for friends and family. I did it. I did henna for about five years before getting paid for it. Um, so I did henna. The reason I guess for me, why I knew I was ready to start getting paid for it is because I had by that time done henna for two other brides and they were friends of mine and I didn't charge them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, so I've done this before, you know, I can do this again. So, um, it wasn't, um, and then, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, I guess that it wasn't that much of a leap for me to make because it was just like, yeah. okay, now I'm just going to start getting paid for it. The other thing was that the, my friends now, they just were like, okay, I don't really care what you do. So I remember I did like kind of, but they did want like, quite a lot of like space covered like one girl I remember she wanted henna from her 
shoulder like starting from her shoulder all the way down to her wrist and um and this was that was my very first bridal henna oh, and she's God. still like i just saw her last month and she goes you know you haven't done head on me in so long she's like i'm gonna blackmail you i'm gonna put up those pictures because i did that like <laughs> about you know gosh so long ago and it, my, it was hor- it is horrible i mean i oh, look back no. at those pictures and i'm like oh my god that's so scary and she's like no she still loved it you know i mean obviously at that time it was you know it was great whatever and um but i did like the kind of very loose big arabic style henna yeah, but my yeah. first paid client um i did um a kiran style design on her i remember i was like obsessed with kiran's henna i, I mean i'm still obsessed kiran knows this i'm still obsessed with her henna but um <laughs> i was really obsessed at that time i mean i had eyes for nothing else except her work and i'm just like yeah. oh my god you know so i would just copy whatever um and i i literally i wasn't i wasn't i can't even say i was inspired by it you know it was like a straight out copy i wouldn't even try to change any like don like trying to you know work at it like that so um, I, I, that was my first bridal henna was, uh, yeah, I did get in style design. So I did like full palms and then the both sides of the hands and both sides of the feet. Um, and it took me, it didn't take me quite as long as it did obviously with the other, with my friend, because with my friends, I'm always talking. It always takes me like a long time if I'm doing henna on friends, I'm just talking too much to focus on oh, actually yeah. getting the work done. You know? <laughs> so, um, so yeah. And I, and I think I, I, I didn't, um, like I, I remember she came to the house and she got it done, but I definitely didn't get paid like well for it yeah, because I yeah. had undercharged myself quite a lot. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, I think this is what it's worth or whatever. But um, if I were to do that now, I would charge quite a lot for the same amount of work. But at that time I had charged, I think it was like under a hundred dollars. Cause I don't, I don't remember what it was, but I think I, yeah, I charged like probably a hundred dollars for, for the hands, both sides and the feet. Wow. Um, and yeah, and that was before I really, you know, that was my very first bridal gig. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, after that, I I realized I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, you do it one time, you do it second time. The reason, the way that I have kind of, um, figured out my pricing for my bridal packages is that I always, uh, look at how long it takes me and I kind of, you know, multiply that by my regular hourly rate, um, or or somewhere around that, you know, something like that. So So it comes uh, out to a nice, 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 easy to remember number. Yes, yes, it does. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, but otherwise, uh, when I, when I first started, I didn't, you know, I obviously I hadn't figured that out. Um, and I was, I don't know, I, a lot of it is also just trial and error. There was henna tribe at the time. So I remember I would, you know, after my first bridal, I think I posted photos and I'm like, Oh, you know, I charged about this much. Is that right? And everyone's like, no, you're really undercharging <laughs> yourself. You need to charge more. I was like, Oh, okay. All right, great. So, uh, so then I started charging, you know, a little bit more properly. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that was, that was fun. I, I believe the bride's name was Nida. She's very sweet. She was, um, yeah, she, she was like, she had seen my henna work before and everything, but, oh, and at that time, yeah, I should also mention it was so horrible. I, I really shouldn't have charged to be quite honest because I wasn't even making my oh. own Wendy at the time. Oh, the paste. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wasn't making my own paste at the time. No, I was, um, I, I was getting henna um from this one lady who would mix it fresh at her house and the thing with her was that the color was sometimes everything was a hit or miss the color the consistency um you know everything was just a hit or miss so I remember I was just getting getting it from her and after I did that bride's henna that's when I realized I was like okay this is it I can't use you know it's one thing to use someone else's cones and you know whatever the color if it comes out or not comes it's one thing to do that if you're just like doing a little bit of henna on friends or this and then I was like no someone's actually paying me this is like a bride's big day I don't want to ruin this for her so that's when I actually started 
trying to figure out how to mix my own paste and was, also, um, so, from that kind of yeah. sorry oh no no go ahead i was just gonna say if it was that hit or miss it's you might as well just make your own and and you know have and the hit or miss yeah. being you yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly yeah no i mean she she you know it was and it was funny because that lady um you know every time i'd gotten hannah cones from her before that point like they would always be pretty like the color would be you know okay I and mean, it wasn't great but it was like bad and uh, um i know now that it what she was mixing was not uh completely natural because her oh. henna would never really turn or it would be like dark brown you know for like a day or two and then it would just like fade completely oh, yeah, yeah. and you're just like oh okay you know but um but yeah with that with that bright unfortunately i don't think it ever got more than like uh orange red um because oh. i saw her wedding photos and then i felt so bad and i was like wow i really you know um I really shouldn't have charged. I should have just done it for free until I, now I feel like if someone asked me, they're like, Oh, should I charge? My first question that I ask anyone is I'm like, Oh, are you mixing your own paste? Yeah. Because I, I feel like if you're going to be doing bridal henna, that's something that you should. And, and I mean, you know, it's, it's bad of me to say, because that's not how I started, but that was my kind of really, you know, slap in the face of, okay, I need to learn how to do this right now. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And you want other people to learn from your mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get that bride? Did she was she a friend of the family or something? Um, I got the bride. No, she was not a friend of the family. Um, my gosh, I have to think about that. Uh, I mean, uh, I, when I say she's not a friend of, okay, she wasn't a friend of the family, but she was still in our community. Okay, so, so kind of a uh, yeah, word of mouth yeah. thing. Yeah, it was probably word of mouth. I mean, at that time, I was doing henna for a lot of um, different, like just little things here and there, you know. Um, I'm trying to think exactly how she found out about me. Oh, you know what? Her dad, <laughs> yeah, I, I know how she found out about me. Um, her dad was in charge of the, like our local um, Pakistani newspaper. That oh, was like okay. Pakistani American newspaper that was local, you know? And I think I contacted them to like advertise or something. Oh, and he was cool. like, oh, okay you know my my daughter's looking for and it, it turned out that you know of course this is always what happens I mean I at least for us it, this is always what happens is that because in Michigan we don't have a huge Pakistani or Indian community but it's yeah. still it's big but it's not like huge as in how it is like in New York and Chicago you know it's totally yeah. different than that it's we're a lot more close-knit so then once we started talking we figured out oh you know actually she, I, I, my mom uh, knew her mom or something and then we figured out that yeah we kind of know each other or our families oh, know each okay, other yeah. even though we were she and I had not grown up um, she was quite a lot older than I was so you know we weren't in the same circle or anything like that but we didn't know of each other so oh, okay. yeah I think that's how I worked on. But I did a bridal consult with her. Like, I think a lot of this, all the stuff, like I was getting all this information from Hannah Tribe. I was just talking to people and I was saying, okay, you know, um, and then there's a lot of information on Hannah Tribe at that time as well in terms of like what is, you know, normal, what's good to do. And um, yeah. so I, I remember I did do a bridal consult. I went to her house and then we looked at a bunch of designs and I had Kiran's, um book, which I don't think she sells anymore. So hmm, I'm, I'm glad I have it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, her Love Mendy book. Yeah. Um, so I had that, and I had a couple of other kind of uh, books. I think I had one of Nita's books. I don't know huh. if it was Nita's. So maybe. Anyways, I had like a book and everything, and I put it all together. So I went to her house, and we did a consult, and then we, um, I did do a contract because that that was one thing that was in my mind was I was like, no, I'm not going to do any sort of paid gig without a contract. Yeah. So um, it was a very basic, simple contract, and this is how it just had start time and time. It's it's a. The, I guess it's almost, sim it's similar to what I have today, but, um, 
it just my stuff today just looks a little bit more professional yeah <laughs> whereas that was just like oh okay start time and time this is what you're paying me thank you that's it <laughs> so yeah <laughs> uh that was it but yeah i did do a contract and i did uh bridal consults and everything that's yeah. actually a really good segue into the next question i want to ask you what is you, what is typical for a bridal consultation for you okay um so the, my um i tell all brides this and i have actually this written out in my uh i send bridal uh rates i send it as a package or whatever i have a pdf mm-hmm. document that i send to clients um, and so I have a lot of information written there and I have written in there that if you would, a bridal console is optional, if you'd like it, you know, we are, we're free to do that. And, um, we have three kind of, I have, uh, three goals for the consultation. My first goal is to get the deposit paid and mm-hmm. to get all our contract information booked and, mm-hmm. um, all of like the, when we're going to start, what day it is, what the location is, all of that stuff is going to be written down. So we're both clear on that, um, how much the price is, um, Obviously, we're going to figure that out at the consult, too. Because sometimes, even though I have my packages, which are pretty much set, sometimes brides want something that's in between two packages. Mm-hmm. And I can do that. That's fine. But I just I, I tell them I'm not going to do any of that um, over the phone just because you know, what you're describing and what I'm understanding might be two different things. So right. I like to meet in person or at least have um, some sort of photos, you know, something that I can see. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, then I will, you know, give them a quote based on that. So. Um, yeah, so the first goal is to get the deposit paid and get all the contract information kind of um, uh, written down. And the second goal is to make sure that uh, we have um, I, that I'm able to understand the type of designs that they want, and more importantly, the type of designs that they don't want in, mm-hmm. included in their in their bridal henna. A lot of brides are not too too picky; like they're like, "Oh, I like this," but what they don't they don't realize when they start looking at different designs and different styles and stuff they're like oh i really don't like this oh no i don't want that yeah, either yeah. and you, you have know, to so kind of I, tease that out it, of them exactly yeah so i my one goal is to make sure that i get um you know that information so make sure that i understand what it is that they don't want so i have that written down um and then let's see what is my third goal i'm trying to remember <laughs> la 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 i Deposit think actually that design, was yeah details I, I'm sorry, what? Deposit design and details. Yes. Yeah, basically. The three I guess. Ds. The three Ds, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, right. The third thing is to give them a sample design. I'm oh, like, yeah. I had to think there, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what did I do in my bridal consult this last week? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, the third thing is to give them a, a small, you know, sample design. And I, I always offer that free of charge. Um, yes, you do get some. It, this doesn't happen often with me because I am. I don't actually book the bridal consult until I'm kind of sure that this is going to be a serious client. Um, you know, like I don't leave it up to them to book it. It's, it's up to me when I'm going to book that and if I'm going to book it with them. So I'm like, Oh, I think, you know, I'm not really understanding what it let's book a, or I'm not really understanding, you know, what type of design you want. Let's go ahead and do a bridal consult. Would you like to do one? Um, and I guess just because of the way that I have everything written in my bridal packages, I don't, um, get very many or any, uh, brides who are just like you know looking for a free design coming and they yeah. just want that you know so that, that doesn't happen um it used to happen to me before and I think it was before because um I, I you know everything that was that I was sending to them in email like my uh rate sheet and all of that wasn't uh put together as professionally right. so um now because of that it just weeds out anyone who's really not serious because I have stuff written in there like you know, um, we're only meeting so that you can pay the deposit, even though some people, <laughs> a lot, most, most clients end up paying the deposit before the bridal consult, almost oh, all of cool. them do because they want to make sure that they book me and they don't want to lose the date. Yeah. So, um, you know, so because of that, uh, they don't actually, but in my, the, the rate sheet that I sent to them, it says that, Oh, we're gonna, you know, 
the point of the, the first thing that happens, the point of the bridal consult is to have your deposit paid. So if someone's not serious, then they don't really, you know, come to get their free little tiny, you know, what, what would it be like 10, $15 design? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do that just so that they, you know, are able also to see the the color and the, you know, they can also see that, um, you know, my work kind of matches up with what, uh, the, with all the pictures that I've been showing them. So, yeah, yeah. that would be, I think my three, three goals. Oh, okay. And and when you started going from like e designs and and you know little party things, what did you do to get good at bridal henna? Um, what did I do to get good at bridal henna? Um, I think uh, okay. So for me, it's a little bit different the way that I started out. Like, yes, most of the time I would do little e part, you know, stuff on other people. I would do like e designs and this and that, but on myself. Because I was so obsessed with Kiran's designs and Kiran does bridal henna, mm-hmm. um, that's almost all of what I did on myself. Um, I started off doing those sort of designs, and I didn't because. And the thing is with Kiran's um, designs, um, her her designs are a little bit different than actual like Indian traditional Indian, you know, bridal henna. Yeah, They're actually definitely. quite a lot different than that. Because yeah. her designs are basically, if you break them, if you break it down, at least in the, uh, now actually, there I, I feel like. Uh, it's totally different. But I remember the designs that I was looking at, you know, back in like 2003 or something, they were designs that were basically like, um, like a party style, you know, strip. That's what I call it. Uh, from the index finger down to the wrist. Mm-hmm. It's basically that sort of design with a border drawn around it and filled in with very, yeah. very tiny fill. So, um, it, I, that wasn't all that difficult for me to do because it was, I could break it down easily. And I started it off kind sense of, to you. yeah, it made sense to me. And I started off doing that a lot. And, um, so there was no, like, I never had like a nervous kind of feeling in my mind of, oh my God, how am I going to fill up all this? How am I going to do like a full hand design? Because that's what I started off doing. Oh, but, okay. um, good. but I think like doing like stuff, like how Nita's work is now, now that's totally different. Um, yeah. it, it's actual like Indian style. Henna. And with that, I think, um, I, I really, I know I never really, I didn't do anything where it was like, um, my own kind of a spin on Indian bridal henna until, you know, until I'd been doing bridal henna for like a good two to three years. Yeah. I think for a long time, I just copied out designs from the Asha Savla books and from the Bhavni, Bhavni Gera Vera. And yeah. then there's another lady, I uh, cannot remember her name. Chauhan. Chauhan. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Chauhan, right. She's great. So, um, yeah, a lot of the stuff I did was just like looking at their work and, um, I mean, and then as, the more that I started doing bridal henna and the more, um, often that I was doing henna in general, then at that point, that's when I started to look at those designs as just inspiration act, uh, instead of actually following, trying to yeah. follow the design per se, you know? Yeah. Um, and now I don't, I don't look at those designs at all. I don't really, I don't, I try actually not to have a design book open when I'm mm-hmm. doing bridal henna, just because I don't want to be limited by, I like to look through a book or whatever it is before I go to the gig, but I don't mm-hmm. actually take any with me unless the bride has requested a specific design. Yeah. yeah. And most oh, of the time cool. they request designs that I've already done as in stuff from my own, um, portfolio. So, um, so yeah. So, so is there any type of bridal henna or a style that you have always wanted to do, but nobody ever asks you for it? Hmm. Bridal henna style that I want to do. Well, right now I am obsessed, and I think I posted about this. I am absolutely obsessed with the Gulf style bridal henna. 
designs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So they're like Indian dash golf style. But the thing is, I think until uh, this, there's a there's a group on Facebook or a page on Facebook called Mandy Art Gallery. Oh, and yeah. I know us have been very like enamored by their work. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, before this, like, you know, we I, I love golf style work in general, but I'd never really seen. Um, I mean, and, and to be honest, their work is not golf work it, it's not just golf work it's 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 like golfy indian mix sort yeah, of right? yeah so it's not it's not purely golf work but when i just i mean i've seen golf work before but usually uh golf style henna is not uh something that you can translate as well to i think bridal henna be, um, yeah. um, like bridal henna you know requires a lot more space like you're just working yeah. in a lot more space so um and usually golf style henna is just on the hands um and a little, you know it'll be on the hands or something on the feet but it's not too much like you know, yeah it's very feet. open yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when I saw their work, I've just been right now enamored with that. So I'm hoping that some bride will be like, hey, want to kind of do this. And I'm that's why I'm actually I've been trying to practice it as much as I can so that I can actually have some photos. Because with I guess with my brides, what they tend to do is they I have like a lot of photos on Flickr and a lot of photos on my website at Facebook. Um, so brides, they always tend to go to my portfolio and choose stuff from there um sometimes i have brides who will use just a google search and then they end up you know they end up showing me designs that are um stuff that i've kind of done before anyways and it'll be stuff from other artists but it's 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 a style that i have done before so it's not anything particularly um i guess different my thing is i don't get to do as often um like with bridal henna most brides want the Indian style, the Arabic style, something ish like that. It's nothing. It's it's not going to be all that different, I guess. Yeah. But what I, I what I miss actually doing right now is um, like just doing henna for actually just doing henna for Americans because Americans will come and they want henna that's different. They don't want yeah because they don't Indian have that cultural they tradition. Have, they don't have the cultural kind of uh, tradition of like oh Indian style or Arabic style. They'll come and they're like I want something you know flowy something on my back and I'm like okay yeah that's exciting because that <laughs> I, I don't get to do that a, a lot. Oh more, that's cool. Really. So um, and when I was in Michigan I was working at this um, or I was doing a, uh, like a weekend kind of a gig at uh, the Rust Belt Market which is a really great market for indie designers and um you know, people who make, who make and sell handmade things. So, um, and where's that? That is in Ferndale, Michigan. It's actually Funky right there. Ferndale. Uh, we have an artist. Yeah. We have an artist there right now. Her name is Monique. There's like, she's in Ferndale and she's awesome. Oh, and, cool. um, but I actually love that market and I, I'm trying to find someplace like that here because the type of people that were coming to the market and they, they were all people who were very, you know, kind of artsy and they, they didn't, weren't like, you know, like I go to a lot of American events where people I just want something small, like just do a yeah, heart yeah. and sign, and I'm like, oh god, you know, yeah. that's not the type of crowd that was there. Yeah, <laughs> the Roosevelt Market, they they were all people who were really like they really appreciated the art and they wanted they wanted something big and different. And um, I I felt like that was the time uh, I was most creative in my in my work. Oh, that's cool. um, was just working there and getting to just interact because everyone wanted different stuff they didn't want anything like saying the stuff that I had done before and they were I mean they were happy to let me kind of you know um just just try new things on them so it was wow, fun that's nice. I really enjoyed that I think you'll find stuff like that in Chicago because it seems like a very seem they seem to have a good like kind of hipster indie culture yeah. there yeah just have yeah, to dig for I, I have to bit. I just have to do like kind of I feel like I need to do some actual like research, like sit down and be like, okay, where are these kind of places and try to figure out 
you know, where I can go and, um, you know, get more of those type of clients. Cause I, I really do miss that. I, I miss it a lot. Cause yeah. a lot, I think here in Chicago, probably within the past year, I haven't really done anything quite like that unless, um, I was at a henna retreat and, um, that's yeah. where I was like, Oh yeah, you know, I did kind of different work, but besides that, I've been doing a lot of Indian work, a lot of Arabic style henna and after a while, you just get tired of doing the same sort of style. Yeah, yeah, and you're just kind of doing it like a machine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I want to get down to more practical stuff, um, some of the practical things that have to do with bridal henna. And um, one thing that I've been asking a lot of other bridal henna artists about is how you um, – well, it's a variety of questions. Like, do you plan out the design beforehand? Do you ever draw it out beforehand? Also, when you're actually sitting down with the bride, do you draw out the outlines of the shapes that you're going to do? Or do you just kind of start at one place and go from there? Um, I, okay, so I actually, I, this kind of goes into, I, I taught a class, a bridal henna class this year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I basically the way that I, broke it down for students was that um, when you're first starting to at least learn bridal, it's easier to try to break it down into like um, three different sections. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what I did is that I, and a lot of times when I'm actually really tired, if I'm, if I happen to be going to a bridal gig and I'm just tired and I I know this is something that I can fall back on and it ends up looking good every time. It's not artistic. It's not going to be different than what I've done before, but it's something that always ends up looking good. And what I basically do is I break up the, like, if I'm, if I, if you kind of visualize like a, a hand and an arm, okay, um, with the palm flat down on the table, not mm-hmm. uh, with the palm, the back of the hand. So uh, on the table, so you're looking at the palm side of the hand and mm-hmm. the arm. So what I normally do is I'll look at um, the arm and I usually try to put, I start off with thinking, where is my band going to go? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I always start off with in any bridal design. And either the band can be straight across as in it's just going to be like a, it, it looks kind of like a cuff, mm-hmm. you know, sort of band. Mm-hmm. Or it'll be a band that's a V-shaped, an upside yeah. down V um, on the hand. Or it can be something that's diagonal, whatever way that I'm going to do that. But I always add in one band, and that's my starting off point. Mm-hmm. Um, you can change up the design if you want to add the band at the top, or you can add the band in the, at the top of the arm, I mean. Mm-hmm. Or you can add the, like, you know, band more a little bit towards the center so that it's kind of, midway between your wrist and your elbow, or you can mm-hmm. actually have the band be right at the wrist. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two, three different, whatever, you know, there's whatever, however I want to change that up. I, I, I'll do that. Um, normally I like to have the band be about like, if I'm doing the henna, um, going all the way up to the elbows, I will do about like, I'll have the band start about an inch or inch or a inch and a half from the top from the, mm-hmm. so from, from the elbow yeah. down. So that way I still, I, I do the band and then I have some space left to do some sort of designs right on top of that, uh, on top of that band. Um, so the band part is like, you know, the first section. Then the second section, if you say, if you did, if you do the band on the top half of the elbow, is this making sense or should yeah, I like? Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, I, I have this, it was I hope me. it's making sense for the listeners. That's, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it was very, it's easy to visualize if you have the little, I mean, I literally, I just drew a hand and I cut it apart or not a yeah. hand, <laughs> a, a hand and arm. And I, I did like three sections. And I'm like, okay, this is the first section this is the second section. And there's a third yeah. section. So, yeah. um, so the first section is the band. And if I, you're putting that like towards the top of the arm or so, when you get done with that band, you should have 
like you're going to be from the elbow, you should be about an inch or a half, about two inches down from the elbow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the arm and the length of the arm or whatever, but about two inches down. So then you have like a good, um, let's say about four, five, four inches or so, three or four inches mm-hmm. left on the arm. That's section two. Okay. And then the last section is the hand. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope that made sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It totally does. You know, I just drew myself a little picture. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I'll, I'll give you a picture so that you can. <laughs> yeah. I'll put it up on the, I'll put it up on the blog when I post this. Yeah, exactly. That might help, actually. <laughs> um, so I try to break it up into three different sections. And if I, if I break it up into sections, it's easier for me to work because I'm not looking at this huge, you know, vast area that I just have to cover. And um, I feel like it, it looks a little bit more, organized and a little bit better if I have it broken up into sections it's more digestible um, and then, yeah it's more and it's it's easier for me to work with but it also looks more cohesive when I actually put both hands together and you're looking at at, at the actual bridal design all done it looks a little bit more I guess cohesive yeah right? That's what yeah I know exactly um, what you mean if you look at a lot of my bridal designs, a lot of my bridal designs do follow this kind of three section or you know, rule of three or whatever you want to call it yeah. um, thing, because it's uh, a lot of my bridal designs have, you'll see it. And once I told everyone that, and I was showing everyone all the pictures, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you really do have that. I'm like, yeah, there's no, you know, there's really not that much creativity here. <laughs> well, no, I mean, there's, there's only so much you can do with that space. And, you know, just because you break it up into thirds doesn't really limit your creativity and it and the creativity is what you do within those spaces so Um, i I wouldn't sell yourself too short on that (laughs) i just remembered because a lot of the i mean obviously the photos when i was teaching the class the photos that i had um chosen to show people examples of these like i and then i realized i'm like wow i have like i literally had at least 15 different bridal designs that all more or less followed look like that you know, oh that's funny like that and um and it, and i and like i said I, this is what i fall back on when i i'm tired or when i don't feel like you know um like i have to do a bridal design and i still want it to look good but it's not something that i'm, I'm really wanting to like you know like i don't know you don't want to break make, new yeah, ground exactly. or something yeah so yeah. i'll just go ahead or or especially unfortunately if i go and the event um and the whole setup i'm i'm a very like I guess snobby henna artist. Okay, <laughs> I I go and I need my space to be like how I want it. I need my chair and my table to You're be exactly how I want it. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I don't work. I, I'm actually I'm very bad at that. I really don't work if my if my space is not right. And I, yeah. I'll tell people I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. You, I, you know, re- that stage is really nice, but I need my little teeny type table, and you're gonna be sitting on this chair, and I need my chair here. <laughs> <laughs> and I I have had guides move, and then uh, for rides like they'll go back in. Like they'll, if they wanted to take photos, they just jump right back into their little, you know, stage scene area or whatever, just to get their photos. Yeah. And then they come back to my little table and it, it, it's very, it looks really kind of shabby. And it, I, I always take a small TV dinner tray table or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I take those with me to all my gigs. And um, unless like, you know, they have like a perfect size table that happens to, you know, fit into their kind of decor and also fits for me, then I'll work on it. Otherwise I always work on that table and I just have them pull up two chairs and that's how, that's how I work um it's just, it's very difficult for me so yeah I mean one thing is that if I if I'm in a situation where there's a lot of people around the bride or the bride is just really fidgety she's not able to sit still very well or you know there's just something where I'm not feeling comfortable yeah this is also the sort of design that I fall back on because again it looks good and it's something that brides like and everyone is going to be happy with and it's something I've done a thousand times and I can do it again so and it's you not, can do it regardless of the yeah, conditions yeah. that you're in yeah yeah and I mean, it does end up looking a little different each time because obviously, yeah. like I said, it is, it, you just lose the rule of three in, in breaking up the space. 
but what you do within that space is you know it's up it's up to you so it doesn't always have to look the same I mean I try not to have it look the same but um so what other elements do you think are really important for a beautiful henna design like that's you're talking about kind of the laying out the the general areas but is there something else that you think is really important for a beautiful design um yeah I one thing that I look for always in a design or a design that really stands out to me in bridal henna especially is variation of lines mm-hmm. um if at all the lines especially with bridal henna because there's so much space that you're covering and there's so much work that you're doing um if all the lines are about the same i've seen a lot of bridal a lot of you know bridal henna designs where um it the the detail is really great you know the person has done it really well but nothing yeah. From like, you know, when you take the picture from far away, nothing stands out Just because like everything is the same line depth, right? Yeah. 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 So you need to have, I, for, for me, one of the things that I think are, is it's, it's even more important than the motifs. Cause to be honest, the motifs, it depends on what style you're doing. If it's, if it's Indian style henna, you can do, you know, you, you can choose from peacocks or dulha dulhans and you have all these different kind of those Indian style shapes, which kind of look like hearts, I guess, sort of like half hearts or petals or, you yeah. know, like that. There's a lot of different motifs that you can do but it within any design whether you're doing arabic or indian style or whatever type of bridal henna you're doing you, you absolutely have to have um line variation and i also think you absolutely have to have um uh, a, a balance of negative space um in there yeah, somewhere yeah. even in the even in indian henna indian style henna is supposed to be you know no negative space and it's supposed to be very filled in but you can add negative space by adding in, adding in details that are much thinner yeah, uh, yeah and other details so yeah. that it looks like it's just it's very very light like uh, Kiran does that very well if you look at a lot of her designs um her fills are so so tiny even though everything is filled her fill is yeah. so tiny and so light that in comparison to like the thicker lines in the design it really make that's what makes the design pop that's yeah. what makes it actually look like it's coming alive on your hands and yeah, that's kind of you know the goal when you're doing that much work you want it you don't want it to look flat yeah, I think it's the worst thing. You, I never want. I at least for me, if I, um, and a lot of times what I do, um, to kind of counteract that is I will go ahead and like do the design in mm-hmm. one, uh, not very flat variation or something, but like I'll go ahead and do. I'll finish my design and then I look at it from far away and I go back in and I make certain lines and outlines thicker and I make um like the outlines of, um like the outlines of a flower the outlines of a peacock or the outlines that are going to be around my fill you know i make those thicker than other lines so i think that's very important that's a great idea that's one thing that i i I think in um i felt like i was kind of like a broken record because in all of my classes that i i taught at uh, hir that was was just one thing that i kept repeating over and over again and then some people um that mean everyone kind of understood that but i I really did feel like that's the one thing i kept going on and on about because i feel like it, even in the designs that nowadays that were all like the uh, Mehendi Art Gallery, those yeah. designs, and the designs that we really look, find so beautiful, and you know, all artists, we just looking for like, wow, that's just amazing. Like, how did that person mm-hmm. do it? And the the main thing is just being able to control the pressure in the cone yeah. and being able to control your lines. If your yeah. lines are um, like if you have a whole bunch of really nice, thin, intricate lines, but they're juxtaposed with like thicker lines or, you know, more like negative space or things like that. That's what makes it kind of feel a little bit, I think. Yeah. Um, really nice. So, yeah. yeah, it's funny. I was looking at those designs and usually I don't like the stuff that's so much 
where there's no negative space, but it's true. Those designs on that page, what really jumps out at you is the variation of the line and, you know, the thick and the thin, it just creates so much, um, yeah, depth and liveliness. Like the design just, I don't know. It just makes, takes my breath away. And usually those kind of really full designs just don't do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. why, yeah, that's definitely true. I remember that's one of the things when I when I first started looking at Giddens' work, um, that was what would kind of that's what would take my breath away. I yeah. look at her work and I'd be like, it literally it looks like it's popping off of the hands, like it's like it's moving, like that leaf is just about to move somewhere uh. else. So you know that that's what I would look like, and I'm like, how is she getting this flow? And and it really was that you're adding like almost like she was adding. Um, if you look at it closely, it's like if she draws a leaf, um there she adds thicker lines around one part of the leaf and a thinner yeah. line around the other yeah. so that it looks like it's a shadow yeah um, and it that's what makes it look 3d that's what's gonna yeah. make it really you know yeah and it jumps out at you and you feel yeah. like you're looking through this thicket of flowers yeah. i don't know if i actually answered your question you asked something about motifs didn't you <laughs> did i ask about motifs oh well one thing i want to ask you is um when i was interviewing harold she was saying that when she was studying with her and Dalal that he would just draw the outlines of the shapes and then somebody would come back and do the fills. And then mm-hmm. we're, I don't know where we were discussing it somewhere on Facebook. And somebody said that they usually draw the outlines and it helps them get it symmetrical from hand to hand. So I was just wondering if you do that yourself. Oh yeah. Um, I do it. If, if I'm trying to make the design be symmetrical. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, I do. And again, this is where um, I like, cause I, for me to make a design be perfectly symmetrical, especially Indian style henna, mm-hmm. I think that's a little bit, it's, it's difficult. And I, I don't know, I just never really wanted to do that. I like to have it be a little bit different, but yeah. what my goal is always is to try to have the, the main thick lines and borders that are going to be in the design. They have to match up on both hands in a bridal oh, design. Like the bands and the right, right. The, the, right. The, the bands like, and again, it's just my, my rule of three, the divisions or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when I first start out my bridal hand, I have the bride put both elbows down on the table and I have her line up her hands and I draw just very light outlines of each band. And uh, yeah. what I'm going to do in the second part, which is from the wrist to like, say midway up the arm, mm-hmm. what I'm going to do in that part of the hand, I, uh, I, I make sure that the, major kind of sections uh match up what i do within those sections i it doesn't really matter to it me varies as long from, yeah it between varies. the two yeah hands. i never oh, i don't try cool. to make each hand be like oh if there's a flower here there has to be a flower there if there's a peacock here there has to be i don't do that okay. um but i do match up the main sections and i match up the big thick bold lines that i know are going to be in my design because that's what's gonna stand out when you take a picture from far yeah. away and when you're showing people when she puts her hands together on her wedding day and she's showing people that's what's gonna stand out are those big thick dis- lines not yeah um i often actually do different fills on on both hands just because i get sick of doing the same thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm like oh this is getting boring okay let's switch to a different but fill yeah, on the other that's, hand so. that's a really good idea because i noticed that from looking at your work that it's that they almost look like they match but if you look at it, it's like no these are really different but they do yeah. still have a feel it, yeah it feels like they go together and I mean, to be honest, I think I started doing that just because it's easier. <laughs> not, yeah. not because I'm, I'm going like, to oh, do that. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Otherwise, like for the bride too, like um, I, I actually, so my setup for the whole bridal uh, henna, like I said, I am very picky mm-hmm. <laughs> about the setup. So I always, um, I request that the bride be in a rolly chair so that she's like in a, you know, in a chair that can just rotate easily. Like she's in a computer <laughs> desk chair. And then yeah. uh, I'm in a, I don't care what type of chair I'm in as long as, you know, it's the height is fine. Yeah. And then I have my table. And what I do that because um, 
once I have, so I, I start off with having the bride's hands, both, both hands be on the table straight out in front of me. And I, you know, section off my areas. And then once I'm done with that, I'm like, okay, you know, relax. And then she can just, she just puts out one hand and she can actually put her back against the chair and just relax. And she yeah, doesn't have important. to be leaned forward. Right. And stretching. Um, yeah. And then yeah. that way also what happens is that um, if she's on a rolly chair, then I don't have to have her move, right? Just kind of twist the chair around whenever I need to just oh, move her a around idea. a little bit. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so it makes it, it makes it a little bit easier. And I, I started doing that because again, once the, the bride has, you know, she has her arm uh, on the other, like she has her arm, one arm on the table and then one arm kind of just hanging by her side. Mm-hmm. It's annoying for me to try to, if I were to try to match up everything, the bride has to be very, you know, um, like she has to Active. be willing to do that. Yeah, yeah. She has to be willing to do that. And most brides, no matter, you know, like I get a lot of brides who are like super happy to want, you know, get like so much henna, but they obviously they, you know, they realize that it takes time. So most yeah. of my bridal sessions are about four hours to five hours. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes four and a half to five hours, something like that. And, you know, brides get tired by that time. They're yeah, just like, definitely. Oh God, I'm not, they can't sit with their both hands facing forward on the table, you know, in front of them lined up the entire yeah. time. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you? Yeah, I just, um, I just had a revelation when you were saying all of that, that I am a very lazy person and making the two hands match is, is a lot of hard work and you have to, you know, the, it's hard work for you. It's hard work for the bride. So I think I may take this, uh, take this on myself and start, uh, yeah. getting them to match, but not be mirror, mirror images. Of mirror each images other. Yeah. And again, it's, awesome. um, even the one other thing is that the one thing that I do have always matched is, um, I will have the bands match, mm-hmm. obviously. Oh, okay. And, you know, obviously, cause that's, that's one of like, again, it's the main sections, but like if, wherever, if, if, um, uh, I think I just put up a picture of a bride recently, uh, or picture of a bride's henna recently where, um, it's again, it's the same thing, but the, I think the main things that were matching in the entire design are just the bands. I don't think anything else. And I mean, the bands and then the main sections, like I said, but the band is the only thing that actually like the fill of the band and everything is the same on both oh, okay. arms. Um, otherwise it's usually different. Um, and, and again, I guess there's, there's different types of designs to write. So this is one style of design. The other type of design that I do, uh, which is a little bit more similar to, um, probably how Nita's work is, uh, Nita Mehdi designer, her work. Yeah. Um, she does a lot of, I mean, she doesn't, she does, uh, work where it's, let's see. How do I it's, it's, um, basically it's just, uh, different Indian motifs put together mm-hmm. and some brides like that. And that for me is just completely random. And I get, it looks good if it is random. It's not meant to look. Oh insane. yeah. Like, you know, I, I, out. yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It's not meant to look planned. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to describe it. Perfectly, but like it's basically what it is is just um you know different like I still started off with a band, but then from the band under that band, I just had like I didn't try to break it up into any more sections after that I just had the band at the top, and then under that band, I just had a whole bunch of different Indian motifs and it, there was it, it was each Indian motif the only thing that's same was um each Indian motif is surrounded by another line and then it's filled in like there's a fill around there's it some kind something. of fill yeah yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Ooh, I can't wait to start doing this. It's gonna it's save fun. my save it my poor little time. brain. It yeah. Saves, it saves some that's the only way because of the sectioning, that's the only way that I've been able to um when I was doing a lot of brides in Michigan, like uh it, it depends on the level of practice that I have as well. Like if I don't um do bridal henna for like let's say like I'm not doing as much bridal henna yeah. um like for a month or two, 
Um, obviously it may, takes me a little bit longer when I actually do go ahead and do this, but, um, in Michigan, when I was doing like, you know, like one full Indian bridal henna, like at least once a week, then what I was doing, I would fall back on this and I cut down my time, my full time, like since the minute that I walked in till the minute I left to four hours. Wow. And I was so proud of myself. I was like, yes, <laughs> I cut down in four hours. And the only reason was because I did the sectioning. And once oh, I did the cool. sectioning, it was really, really easy for me to just go through and yeah. finish off of the design so I, I don't know where I got this idea that the hands absolutely always have to match because now that I think about it I don't really see that so often yeah, when I look at designs and you know the only place where it so really stupid. does matter um if people really want it to match I suppose it would be like the hands that's the yeah, only the palms you like, mean yeah, yeah I'm yeah. sorry the palms of the yeah. hands that's the only place where it would matter if, if that um I actually don't do that either <laughs> <laughs> I don't match it up on the you're palms, such like, a rebel no, I just, I, I, I'm just lazy is what it is. <laughs> it's too much work trying to match up every day. I match Ugh, up like yeah. sections. Yeah. Like if I have a big, um, you know, like if I have, um, let's say sort of like a half circle on one hand, it's going to match up to the half circle on the other hand. But then what I do within that and the fill and everything, that's always different. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to look at designs very differently now. That'll be cool. And, um, Oh, and the other thing I wanted to ask you is what order do you do the different um, parts, like palms first, feet first, backs first? Um, so I start always with the palms first because, uh, one, I want the bride to stop uh, talking on her phone and doing other things and just be focused. <laughs> I'm really mean. I really am. I'm really mean. But yeah, I start- but, yeah, but you have to stand up for yourself as an artist because otherwise yeah, they'll just you know, treat you. I, I mean, and, and the thing is, I, actually, it goes fastest that way. Um, yeah. There's another reason why I'll, I'll also do that is because I start on the palms and then I go to the feet. And by the time I'm done with the feet, the palms have completely dried and I just yeah. flip them over and put them on a napkin. Yeah, that's so what I, I do too. Because, yeah, I can't, uh, you know, like some people are like, oh, they'll kind of have the bride's like kind of rest her hand on her elbow and then flip her hand over and just I can't do that I just just have them put it flat down and they always freak out like oh it's gonna smudge and I'm like I'll fix it if it does but it usually doesn't no usually and I I go ahead um when I as soon as I get done with like the second hand usually the first hand the palm side is dry so I make sure that I go ahead and spray that and then somewhere along as I'm doing the feet I go ahead and in somewhere in between I spray the other hand that I hadn't done uh, with the lemon juice and sugar and, and the thing the reason why I do that is even if um, like I put a lot of sugar in my spray and it's not moving or anything I know that when I go ahead and you know put that hand down on the paper towel um, I don't want it uh, I don't want the henna to come off so I, I mean yeah. I've never usually not even one little dot comes off if yeah. I do that and no, even if it does it just it's, it's so easy to exactly. fix yeah yeah it's yeah. usually the dots <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah, so that's normally how I do this. How I do my bridal henna gigs, yeah. So that actually brings me to another. The next question I want to ask you: What do you, what do you think is the best aftercare for brides? What do you do? Um, so aftercare for brides, I okay. Um, I I do have different aftercare for brides that I or different things I tell the brides to do. Now, whether they do it or not, that's up to them, <laughs> right? So, uh, I mean, regardless, whenever I'm at any gig, I do take my lemon juice and sugar spray. I know some mm-hmm. people don't use that anymore, and they're like, oh, it's not necessary if you put a lot of sugar in there. I still take that because I'm in Michigan and or Chicago, so it's <laughs> yeah, it's the still, humidity is so variable. Yeah, in in the winter, it's you really do need it, and um, and I I like that. I I don't know for some reason I've noticed that if um even if I'm just at home by myself, if I put the lemon juice and sugar spray on, and um I go to sleep, uh, or you know I brush off my henna and I go to sleep, the color somehow comes out darker than if yeah. I were to 
put it on and go to sleep. So I think the lemon, the additional lemon, something, it does do something. Some yeah. little amount of, it has some sort of effect on the color. But so for brides, what I tell them is um, I always leave them with the aftercare sheets. I have a special mm-hmm. aftercare sheet for just for brides. Oh, cool. And um, what I end up doing is uh, I'll go ahead and spray their hands and their feet um, if they prefer, I will actually go ahead and wrap it too. If they'd like to, if they're going to be going to bed, I always do that so that they can go to bed easily. Otherwise, it's just, you know, really annoying to try to go to bed with both sides of both hands covered and you don't know where to put your hands. And yeah. what I do is I just take toilet paper and I wrap it with that lightly. I don't do, yeah. um, I don't bother wrapping with like medical tape or anything yeah. like that. Just because I've already put lemon juice and sugar on there. So yeah. um, the toilet paper mm-hmm. is not really doing too much in terms of the color i mean yes it's keeping your own body heat close to you so it does make it darker a little bit but Mm -hmm. the main point of the toilet paper is so that you can kind of rest your hands on your bed easily and not worry about oh god is my bed sheets gonna get ruined or is this getting you know you just sleep a little bit more comfortably yeah um i also request to brides that it is best to um actually and i I tell them this beforehand if you have a pair of nylon socks Uh um those out because those are the best things if uh um, if they're going to be walking around afterwards or whatever it is, I actually wait till the, if I have time, you know, if the henna has completely dried on her feet, mm-hmm. I go ahead and I put those socks on on top. Yeah. And what that does is it just keeps the henna kind of there and it doesn't leave crumbs all over. So yeah. I have a cat and if I have henna on my feet and I don't put socks on afterward, this cat will just, you know, she's going to start eating it <laughs> and it's just, it's, an, it's kind of annoying. So, yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to be picking it up after every two seconds and da da da. So it's just easier. Also, essential oils are very bad for cats. I just learned yeah. that a few months ago. Yeah, I've been I've been terrified of that. I, yeah. I learned about that. Uh, someone, I think it was on one of the groups. Somebody was talking. I don't know where I learned that. But yeah, I just I, I'm terrified of my cat swallowing some henna. I know. I, I know. Yeah. So there's yeah. probably not enough in the crumbs, but um, I always make sure that my essential oils are up on a on a table where they don't go. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then, uh, do you do you tell your brides to not get their henna wet, and if so, for how long? Oh yeah, of course. Um, right. So I tell them uh, to stay away from water for six to eight hours. Um, okay. If they wanna, so what I try to tell brides, it's up to them how if they can do do it this way. I tell them to schedule their henna session. Um, like I say, um, usually two days before the wedding. Okay. So, um, sometimes three days before if they're not able to do two days, three days is okay as well. Um, so, uh, I tell them to schedule it around, like, I actually prefer to schedule bridal henna, especially if they're going to be getting like full blown, um, from the elbows on downward or whatever, you know, if they're getting like a lot of henna done, I tell them to schedule it like at 10 AM or 11 AM in the morning. And then that way, um, it takes like four to four to five hours or whatever for us to finish. And um, after that, they can keep it on during the day. And what they can do is actually just scrub it off before they go to sleep. And I tell them, don't get water on it, even at night when you take it off, even though it has been six to eight hours. But if you can, try not to get water on it and just scrub off all the paste yeah. Um, and then go to bed. And then ideally what you're doing is you're staying away from water for a really long time and it makes but the color come out. Yeah, you know? and they do and it mostly for- while they're sleeping, so it's easier. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. then they yeah they can remove it before they go to bed, so yeah. it makes it just a lot easier for them to go to sleep and stuff. So, yeah. and that's normally what I and, and yeah my recommendation is always six to eight hours, no water. For brides, I do recommend a full eight hours if they can. Sometimes you know for some people it's okay if they do six. To be honest, yeah. they just stain that well. But I mean I I don't want to take a chance, so I tell them six hours, no water. Um, or eight hours, I'm sorry, no water. And, uh, after that, you know, if you get water on it or on your hands, it's, it's, I don't think it's, um, that big a deal after that, but 
if you can try to avoid it, it's even better, you know, and I, what I, all I've seen is that it lasts longer. And then I have, I do get some brides. Like I had a bride who had her henna done on Wednesday. Um, and then she had me come back and do the bridal party on Thursday. And then her mehndi was on Friday. Her wedding was on Saturday. And then her wedding from the groom side was on Sunday. So she needed her henna to last until Sunday, which is why we ended yeah. up doing. Yeah, and we did her henna on Wednesday, but this girl did not get water on her hands till Friday. We did wow. her henna on Wednesday, yeah, and she didn't get hand, her hands wet or her arms wet. I'm sorry, she didn't end up getting her hands wet, but she didn't take off. Um, she didn't get water on her feet or her arms uh, until Friday morning. Wow. And yeah, her I could henna, never do whole, that. <laughs> yeah, but her henna was ridiculously dark. Wow. on Sunday it yeah. was still you know usually because I give it I always tell Brian I'm very realistic with my time that I tell them like yeah I don't want you to like be calling me like oh my god you know you told me this much I tell them look for like five to maybe six days it's gonna be dark yeah. and then after that it's gonna start fading okay yeah. that's what it's just what you can expect and yes I mean it's you know up to up to five days is like I, I feel for me maybe I wash more dishes or whatever it is but five days is like kind of the max for me that it will stay dark after that it's gonna start fading no matter what so um, you know, she, she needed it to stay dark till, you know, Sunday. So, wow. I mean, that's why the girl kept it on forever. And yeah. I saw her on Friday morning and I'm like, uh, are those crumbs <laughs> I see on your oh feet God. and on your arms? And she's like, yeah, I just didn't shower. I just, you know, wash my hands. And I just, <laughs> that's all. She's like, yeah, I didn't need to. So I just, I thought, you know, I'm just gonna leave it until I have to shower. So I was like, okay, wow. great. So, <laughs> yeah. so the next thing I want to talk to you about is marketing. And I want to know what and this is especially relevant for you because you've changed cities. I wanted to know what you're doing to market yourself in a new city and what you think is good advice for people in terms of uh, good uses of your marketing budget and what you think worked um, not as well as you had expected. Okay. Uh, well, one thing I would say don't do is don't dish out a whole bunch of money to get advertised on these like really well-known amazing like oh my god we have like a hundred thousand customers from you know like every day and so don't don't go to those websites um are we thinking about the same website most likely most likely we are (laughs) um uh you know i have done that and uh yeah i got burned by that too they're complete there's you're not going to get anything from it and to be quite honest i i learned one thing early on was that and i mean the thing is that, you know, we, our services are local. Okay. I mean, yeah. I, as much as I would love to have everyone in California know that, oh, the, there's this girl called Henna Craze who does Henna in Chicago. It's not going to happen because most people in California are not going to hire me. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I don't really care if they know about me or not because they're not going to turn into, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm saying that now from a purely you know marketing perspective. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they are on my page and they're liking this and that because they're not going to end up hiring me. So right. it doesn't make sense for me to, you know, dish out money to a magazine or um, a website that is, you know, catering to clients from all over the world or, you know, really well-off clients um, from, you know, like from all over the U.S. To me, I feel it's much better um, to spend my marketing budget to spend it on local websites. Um, In Michigan, one of the websites that I would get the most number of leads from was a local website. And um, I I don't want to... are, am I allowed to say the name of the website? Should yeah, I? sure. Okay, it was, um, I think it's called MI India. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, oh gosh, now that I said the name, I really can't say anything. <laughs> well, 
it's not exactly the most up-to-date looking website in the world okay it's yeah, it's, it's where your and that's what's go. key yeah it's yeah. where the aunties go to get all this information and I thought when I first registered with them I was just like really frustrated because I remember I was like oh my god like you know um the ad that they had put up uh was uh the guy whoever wrote the ad wrote it in like really broken English and I'm <laughs> I'm I'm like a grammar freak so I I just read it and I was like this is representing I got so annoyed so I'm like and we went back and forth and I'm like no place up here and I had to try to explain to him like I was like no you didn't you know and and then I eventually I was like okay I was like what's your word count there and he's like oh it's this much I'm like okay so tell me exactly what you know what are the limits that I can do and he's like okay this is I just made a little you know two or three sentence blurb that just was grammatically correct and I you know sent it back to him I was just put this up and I (laughs) literally I thought that I was like I'm not gonna get any gigs from this website but I ended up getting a lot of gigs from them because um, one thing is true is that a lot of aunties are looking, they're helping their daughters plan the wedding. Yeah. All right. And they're, they're the ones, and sometimes they're also paying for the henna. So mm-hmm. because of that, they're the ones who are looking to hire people. And, um, I actually got surprisingly a lot of gigs from that. And mm-hmm. I think local websites are, are better to go to. For me, one of the things that I did, um, when I came to the Chicago area is that, um, I went to a lot of, um, the, just the local mosques around the area um, mm-hmm. that I know of. And I went and I put up my flyers and, um, you know, stuff there. I also went ahead and did uh, put up flyers and postcards. I got these really nice postcards printed. I put them up in different restaurants around um, the Chicago area. And I went I went to specifically areas where I knew um, there is like a higher number of Desis that come in. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it's also good to um, market uh, it depends on now whatever your prices are. Uh, for me, at least, um, it was important to me to market specifically to the more um, places where some affluent desis would go to shop mm-hmm. because they're, uh, a lot of times those are the ones that, especially in the Chicago area, um, they are the ones that would end up hiring me because in Chicago versus in Michigan, Michigan was the thing is that um, – I feel like because there's Harold was there, um, and then there's um, Isa Fayaz who's also there. There, I was there for doing bridal henna, mm-hmm. and now there's Monique, and there's Sandy Ripto. She's also nearby, oh, and yeah. we have a lot of henna artists, and we have a lot of good quality henna artists. We don't have a lot of like, you know, I mean, we do have our. We, there are some people that weren't like you know whatever, but like in Chicago, it's the complete opposite. You can go anywhere on Devon, and you will find everyone. You know, everyone does henna on Devon. But how they do it and whether they do it well, that's, you know, that's questionable. So um, in Chicago, it was it, it's quite different in that there's because henna is available everywhere. Not everyone is going to be looking like when they're getting people who really don't like henna or um, who are maybe on a stricter budget there. They will just go to Devon to get their wedding henna done because they're like, well, it's it's that's where you're going to get it done cheapest. And that's where you, I can just, you know, I can get it done there. Right. There's a lot of right. options. Whereas um, in Michigan, I don't think there was as, I mean, we, yes, we had options, but all our options were good quality hen artists and we all sort of charged around the same. So I think people kind of ended up having to choose between, you know, the three or four artists that they knew and they're like, oh, okay, you know, these are the kind of people that were, this is what the price is. And they didn't really have as much of a problem paying it. Yeah. Whereas it's a little bit different. I really found that people do, like a lot of people contact me in Chicago for bridal henna, but like, I think out of the number who contact me, very few end up booking. Oh, so okay. yeah interesting yeah that yeah. sounds more like the new york situation is we have a lot yeah. of really low-end people yeah and and a few high-end people yeah so. and i mean i i feel like um it also 
because I know for a lot of brides when they're looking for henna, sometimes it's not even about, um, I mean, I, I definitely understand if, if a bride's working on a budget and I, I try my best to like kind of, you know, accommodate that and help mm-hmm. them with it while at the same time being, you know, fair to myself. But um, the thing also is that uh, over here, there's not, like I said, you know, I was telling, talking about Pakistanis and how, so I'm going to get such a backlash about this. I have my Pakistani friends are going to be like, what the heck are you saying? You know, <laughs> uh, a lot of Pakistanis, I mean, like, uh, like I was saying there, you know, there's not as much of a standard for like really, really good henna. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the same thing in Chicago where because of, because of there being so much kind of, I, I sound really horrible. I'm, I feel bad saying, but because of there being so much like mediocre work around, people don't have as much of a high expectation of bridal henna, and yeah. so yeah. they, you know, they don't really. Um, a lot of people are willing to pay, you know, the lower price and get lower quality henna because they're like, oh well, this is fine. But um, I think even brides who are on a budget, if if they know that you know they want really really good henna, even brides who are on a budget, they'll still come to people like me or Hiral or anyone you know who really knows what they're doing because they're gonna say, oh okay, you know, I fine, I can, because we have packages that are priced, um, you know, on the lower end, but yeah. you just get a little bit less henna, but you still get a good amount you still of get nice. bridal henna, you still yeah. get good bridal henna. So yeah, um, so yeah. So any so, other good places for people to? to spend their marketing budget um other good places to spend marketing budget uh i was yeah like i said local websites uh local websites specifically catering to the indian pakistani population um yes that that would be my number one place to kind of find that other places would be let's see i i don't know i mean that's where i guess that would be my number one kind of yeah in terms of marketing yeah there's other websites that are helpful and this and that. Like, um, it, gosh, what is the one website? South Indian Bride or something? There, oh, there's South, Asian, South Asian Bride, I think. South SAB, Asian Bride? Is, yeah. No, no, SAB is uh, it's California-based. There's one that's not – they're not in California. I can't remember the name of, of their website now. I am an advertiser on there. No. Uh, but I have – I've gotten uh, – I've gotten, you know, some leads from, from them as well. And they're also like, I guess my rule of thumb is if a website is asking an arm and a leg for advertising costs, I would be like, uh, no, that's okay. Yeah. I, I don't want to be, I mean, I, I don't know, like upwards of a hundred dollars or 150, even that's still a lot, I think, yeah. but you know, upwards of that for advertising to me as a hen artist, that is a bit, uh, that's a bit much. And I guess for um, with the success that I had in Michigan, all of that, so much of it was word of mouth. Um, Mm. It was so much of it was word of mouth because a lot of brides, especially like in the Michigan area, like I said, like in 2001, 2002, we didn't really have much of a wedding, like an Indian wedding scene. We really didn't Mm. have that. Um, When my sister got married, we didn't have professional makeup artists uh, who did Indian henna or Indian, I mean, Indian style makeup. there, there were no hen artists that we really knew of. Um, we, there was a lot of stuff. Maybe it was just us that we really just didn't know about it or whatever it was. But, um, by the time now that I got married, like all of this stuff is like, I know all this stuff because, I mean, I know a lot of it because I'm in the wedding industry, but besides that, I know it because a lot of my friends have used these people. And so the first thing you go is, Oh, who did you hire for your henna? Who did you hire for your makeup? You know? Um, and this is so, uh, I think that that was my kind of, biggest thing in Michigan was not advertising, but it was just word of mouth. Um, mm-hmm. if your work is good, uh, people kind of recognize that and they remember, and they, they'll ask, 
you know, if, if someone really liked your henna on a bride and they were happy to attend that wedding and then they're getting married two months later, they're going to call up that bride and remember and ask her. So I feel like, yeah, word of mouth. Yeah. Is there anything that you think that, that you could do to increase word of mouth? Mm, um, I guess, uh, one thing that I did do in Michigan, I've been thinking of doing that here in the Chicago area. I haven't done that yet. Um, one thing that I did a lot in Michigan was that, um, I went to a lot of community events, um, like that were being put on by mosques and, you know, different organizations and, um, just in Indian and Pakistani community events. Um, and I, uh, volunteered to do henna there for like a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And I, I know at that time when I was doing this, I was really new. So to me, I didn't, I was like, oh, yeah, I just get to do henna, you know. So that's why I'm, I, I haven't done that yet here because now yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go do henna for two hours while I could get paid for, you know, like <laughs> it's, now it's a different kind of mentality that I have. But um, if yeah. it's a, like, you know, I, I'm still trying to find good events, like events that I really want to support um, and like, you know, like a non not for profit. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like events that I could like here I'm still I, I want to try to find some events that I would I would want to support and I, I would be like you know I would be happy to go and do henna there for free yeah. but, but that's not just like a community event but that's actually supporting something else you know um mm-hmm. like a breast cancer awareness event or something like that but um at, when I first started out in Michigan I did do a lot of those little random events here and there and because of that people started finding out about me and they thought you know they were um kind of looking at my work and they're like oh can you do henna and I always had my business cards out there um and I would just go and I'd just do you know henna and people would uh remember it and they'd remember the work so yeah. I think that's definitely true that's and that's for any sort of it doesn't matter if you're trying to get bridal clients or if you're trying to just get any sort of clients if you are doing henna and you're really not getting any clients at all and you're having a difficult time finding clients. The best thing to do is to get into some community wide events and, you know, maybe try to do henna there. Um, And you can, you don't necessarily, if if it's a, maybe if it's, um, you know, it's not a sort of an organization or it's not some, it's not for something that, you know, you necessarily support or you want to do for free. Go ahead and, you can talk to the organizer and do something where it's uh, a little bit less expensive, yeah. where, but it's not your regular rates a little bit lower than that. And I know that's not probably, you know, some people would be like, Oh my God, I would never do that. Um, yeah. If you're well-established, then, you know, you don't need to do that. Yeah. But when you're first starting out, I feel like that does help to some extent, especially to get the word out there because people simply don't know. Yeah, exactly. And it's good for somebody in your situation where you're trying to break into a new market. Yeah. New yeah. for you. Like here in Chicago, I considered that and then I, I didn't really do that at all. And um but what ended up happening now, like I said, is that um I like when I first came I just did like maybe I was literally doing one or two events in a month and that was really, really hard for me because I went from like being completely busy and booked to being like, Okay, I'm free now and wait. Oh god. <laughs> so yeah, um but it was hard at the beginning, but now I feel like because of those, you know, doing consistently one, two events in a month or whatever it is, now people actually do know that I'm here. And obviously my advertising, and I've been I've been doing a little bit more marketing and advertising and stuff like that. So um, I feel like that's very helpful. And I did um, do a couple of events. I, I am trying to get in, in the Chicago area, I am trying to get more events that are um, community events that are paid, but they're still community events. Yeah. So that way I can still kind of... Um, you know, get my kind of name out there and people are, are, are seeing that, Oh, okay, this girl is here and she does henna and, you know, um, basically places where you're going to have a lot of people there for a lot of different reasons. And henna is just maybe one of those things, but if they're, 
you know, if your work is good and you're doing henna and everything, people are going to come by and see and, and they take notice. So I've gotten quite a lot of gigs out of those kind of um, doing like a couple of community events. I've gotten like two, three gigs out of each one. Oh, okay. So it's been really oh, great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. So uh, just to wrap things up, I wanted to know if you had, if you could think of three things that you think are really important for henna artists who are thinking of starting to do bridal henna. Well, one thing is, obviously, I'm sure everyone says this, but practice a lot and practice on um, try to get friends who are willing to let you actually do a full bridal session mm. and just just to see how long it takes you so that you're able to see what you're going to price it as. Um, and I, I guess that would, yeah, that would help a lot. Uh, but practicing you don't always necessarily have to do a full-blown bridal but just practicing bridal designs more often and finding maybe an artist or a couple of artists or whatever whose work whose bridal designs you really like and that you're able to kind of uh easily break apart you know with your mm -hmm. own just by looking at it, you're like okay well this is maybe you can you can kind of understand how they're doing this and just practicing those designs over and over again um repetition is very very helpful especially when you're first starting off and you're trying to learn how to do these designs and um, trying to get an idea of making the designs be something that you don't actually have to think about when you're, you know, when you're actually doing a bridal gig, it's yeah. not something that you have to be worried about and thinking about. Cause if you're worried about it, then you're not going to artistically, I don't think you're going to create for me. That's the thing. That's the case. If I'm worried or if, if I'm anxious when I'm doing a bridal design, I'm, I'm my work doesn't come out quite as well. And I know that yeah. when I first started out doing bridal henna, I would always be kind of a little bit anxious before I started. <laughs> uh, I'd be nervous, you know, before yeah. I started like a big bridal gig, I'd go in and I'm like, Oh my God, I hope you know that. I mean, I don't, I don't really get that anymore. And um, I just, because I guess, again, because, you know, if I, if I am in a situation that I'm not comfortable, like I said, I just fall back on my rule of three <laughs> bridal <laughs> design sort of thing. And it still comes out. Okay. So I'm not as anxious anymore about that, but um but yeah, practicing and practicing often and trying to find a, 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 an artist whose work that you can kind of easily sort of uh, break apart and um, kind of look at, you know, piece by piece and try to try to kind of follow that work and see if you are able to make sense of those of those designs. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is it is actually very helpful if you're not someone who is kind of business savvy. Mm -hmm. um, it's it would actually be very helpful if you're you know if you're able to take some sort of um, not necessarily a business or communication class or something, but like just get some sort of advice either from other artists or from um, there's a lot of uh, Facebook groups out there right now. I know Henna Hub is really great. And there's a lot of there. I mean, there's places where you can get advice from experienced artists about how about like the business end of Henna. Yeah. Um, and just don't, um, you know, like, you should know that if you're going to start doing bridal Henna, I mean, this is with any sort of Henna gig, but especially with bridal Henna, know the community that you're going to be working in. And you should mm -hmm. know that Indians and Pakistanis like to, you know, uh, bargain on the price and they're gonna, they're gonna go back and forth with you and you know you need to know how to be able to deal with that in a professional way yeah but also in a way that is um yeah it's professional but firm like yeah. you're, you're able to still deal with them and make them happy and all that but you know but you have to be firm but not back down exit. exactly yeah. yeah um and then just with the business aspect of things having a contract the more professional the material that you send to your client, the more, um, the less likely it is that they're going to want to bargain with you and they're going to want to kind of, you know, because they see that they're like, oh, okay, this person's already, you know, 
like everything is kind of set in stone with them already so they're not they're gonna be a little bit more hesitant yeah they can sense that you're you're gonna play hard (laughs) exactly if if i feel like if i um and this is so funny because i i rarely tell clients my prices over the phone Mm -hmm. um i always ask them please you know go ahead and send me an email or uh, i'll jot down your email and I'll send all this information to you. And I do that because I know if I tell them stuff over the phone, people think that um, the prices are negotiable. So <sighs> I'm like, oh, you know, the first bridal package is 150 and, you know, da, da, da. And then the second, I, I, I never do that. I, I used to do that once. I, I mean, I used to do that when I first started. And I just realized, wow, this is a really stupid way of, uh, of interacting with clients because they're not able to tell over the phone. I can't convey professionalism as yeah. um, as much as I can if I send them a really nicely designed document yeah. that has, you know, bridal consult one, bridal consult two with pictures and, you know, everything written out and everything looks very professional, you know. So mm-hmm. it, I think that makes a big, big difference. Yeah. Um, so and even with your website as well, if um, your website does not convey a sense of professionalism, then people are also going to want to try to take advantage of you. And you're going to get, I guess the thing is, if your website is a little bit more professional looking and there's all of um, like everything is written down and everything is, you know, set properly, then people, the people who are going to want to really, really negotiate a lot, they by default are not going to contact you. Right. Because <laughs> right. they're like, oh, you know. Yeah, this person, I mean, they can, you know, it, it, your website online and your, the material that you send to your clients, that's what they see. That's what kind of, yeah, um, that's the face of your business. Yeah. That's the face of your business. So, you know, you have to be very careful about all of, all of that. Um, and I guess that's, yeah, I'd say just practice a lot and then, um, having a good business sense and, um, being able to, you know, uh maybe ask a couple of artists that you know or go on uh facebook and these groups and there's a lot of information that is already out there yeah. especially on, on bridal consoles and on i mean a lot of this stuff is there's information out there you just have to be willing to search it up on google and find it yeah um, yeah that i guess that would be my main thing is just be professional and then also be practicing a lot in the marketing part um that i think this comes kind of naturally with the whole word of mouth and all that if you really enjoy i i always believe this if you truly enjoy what you do you end up doing a really good job and people recognize that you don't have to get you know um they're drawn to that passion they're drawn drawn to that passion and they really i mean it it does make a difference if you are someone who's doing henna just for the sake of making money for from it um i mean not that there's anything you know i mean i know a lot of people that's their secondary kind of um, I mean, I, I do henna because I want to make money from it, but the reason why I started was not because of money per se. And I think that makes a bit of a difference when you're just passionate, it doesn't matter whether you're charging people or not, when you are really passionate about what you do and you're doing good work, people recognize it and yeah. they're going to come to you. You don't yeah. really have to do too much about, uh, you know, marketing and this and that, at that point then. <laughs> yeah. So do good work, love what you do and the, and the money will come to you. Yes. I should have just said that. You're so much better at making, I'm so long winded and I'm not even, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. but there's a lot of good details in there. I'm just, I'm just simplifying it. I'm doing like uh, you know, a self-help book title or something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I actually think that is some self-help book, like do what you love is. and the money will flow or something. Oh yes, exactly. And so, be professional and you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Oh, one thing I should mention, if you are someone in a, I, I, I think this is very important. 
if you are an artist and uh, you happen to be in a community where there are a lot of other artists, or even if there's one other artist, doesn't matter mm-hmm. if there's a lot, but you know, there's a uh, local competition. So mm-hmm. to say your work is good enough. I always feel it's best to go ahead and um, talk to that person and do not try. I mean, undercutting someone purposefully, mm-hmm. I think is very sort of a low trick. I mean, yeah. you, you know, um, in, in Michigan, we had a lot of artists on kind of the same area. And the way that I, I feel like we were able to work was all of us were transparent with our prices. Mm-hmm. And we all kind of knew that this is what, you know, what the person is charging. And not we didn't have like fixed prices or anything like that. But we knew that, okay, we all had prices that were about the same because all our work level was about the same. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel that is important. If, you are, if your work level is as good as someone else in your area, then you need to be charging the same as them yeah. I, or, or on the same as them. And this is not price fixing. This is just being fair. It's not fair to, to that person that you come in and your, your work level is great and everything, but then you come in and you're like, oh, you know, I'm just going to charge like half of what you're charging. And of course, then everyone's going to come to you. And, yeah. you know, yeah. um, I think having good relations with the other artists in your area is very, very important. Yeah, having agree. good working relations because yeah. – you know, they can save your ass sometimes. So Yeah, definitely. I know. And then you want to be friends with them so that if you're ever both doing a sangi together, you can hang exactly. out. And, yeah, exactly. And it's not awkward. Exactly. Debbie said that in my interview with her, she was saying, you know, there's enough, there's enough clientele out there. There's enough mm-hmm. work for all of us. And, you know, if you join together, you can drum up more work and, you know, it can be better for everybody in the group. Yeah, so, absolutely. No I mean, I, I totally to agree with that. That's, Especially like even, you know, you can like right now I'm in Chicago and there is no, uh, you know, dearth of South Asians. Okay. <laughs> South Asian population is freaking humongous. Even for <laughs> me, I'm a little bit, I'm South Asian. I'm a little bit I'm like, wow, there's a lot of brown people here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, can, so. I actually understand. I'm like, you know, because I, I, in Michigan where I grew up, yes, we have a lot of, um, you know, South Asians, but yeah, it's not quite as much kind of sense of, you know, when my sisters and I, or when my friends and I were in school, we felt cool. that we're like, oh, we can talk in Urdu and no one knows what we're saying. <laughs> and over here, I'm like, that's so not true. <laughs> everyone knows what you're saying yeah yeah. because you know it's it's just that's how it is and um I mean there's there's uh, in in Chicago the only thing um that I I'm glad to see that there are so many artists here I just would love to see there be like a higher quality um there's a lot there's there are good artists here a a lot Uh of but there's not like the vast majority of artists that are here um, that are on Devon and things like that. I mean, you know, there, and we know this, the, the other kind of artists that are in this area and stuff yeah. that it's just, it's unfortunate that there's not as it would be great because I think at the end, when you have a higher, uh, when you're, everyone is putting out like really great art, you raise the kind of you raise the bar for clients as well. And clients yeah. are able to recognize that. And yeah, exactly. no matter if they're from a South Asian background or if they're from an American background, doesn't matter. But if once yeah. they see really good henna and they see it over and over again from different yeah. people, wow. Okay. So this is what henna should actually look like. Exactly. Not a, peaceful, you know? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, yeah. The, the girls who work at the threading salons here, used to be really cheap and then they started charging rates that were closer to mine and at first I was really concerned and then I thought well actually it's good because then my clients will look at their work and look at my work and see that the price is about the same and then they'll go okay what's different between the two and let me choose based on what's different and that works in my favor so I didn't I wasn't too concerned about that yeah yeah. I definitely I I agree with Debbie in that I think when we were in 
we were at HIR, we were talking about the same thing that, uh, yeah, there's definitely enough work out there for all of us. Yeah. Uh, no matter if you happen to be living with someone in the same city mm-hmm. who is, you know, uh, who is doing henna or, you know, or if you're not, there's definitely enough people out there. <laughs> Yeah. And then the more henna you do, the more people see henna and the more they think about henna and the more henna becomes a um, part of the culture here. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of the U.S., but everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that is the end of the questions. We went, uh, we covered a lot of material, I think. Oh uh, yeah, it was it was fun. I enjoyed I enjoyed talking. I was so nervous to talk to you at the beginning, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna talk to Kenzie." And I was nervous. Here I am gonna talk to Sumaya, and I love her yeah. work. And oh my, oh my god. god, so we were both I, nervous. I was just so excited this year. I think it was the first year that I actually got to meet a lot of hen artists at different conferences and you know, um, different places. So. I was so like, I, I was so starstruck. I'm like, oh my God, this person, I followed their work for so long. And then this yeah. person, you know, it was, it was really nice. It yeah. Was, it's like, so cool to experience. meet them in person. I wish I could, uh, yeah, I, I want to be able to go to more, but it's just, you know. Yeah. It's hard. You can't have them all. So yeah. Well, my so, best friend lives in Chicago. So I'm thinking of, uh, oh, visiting and so... now I know more and more henna artists in Chicago. Yeah. So. Kendra's here. Yeah. Here. We should, we should have a, we'll have a get together if you're yeah. in time. Oh yeah. That would be like, awesome. That would be really fun. Yeah, oh. yeah, definitely. I know because I keep like I I wasn't in Michigan when you were there, and then yeah, I didn't, you know I was at HIR the year before you, so yeah. I, I didn't go this year. You're so. missing each other. I know we're gonna we're gonna eventually we're gonna hook eventually up. Meet. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, and uh, I can't wait to put these podcasts out. All these different opinions about bridal. Yeah, Hannah I'm actually really excited experts. to hear this one because it's gonna be a whole bunch of you know, different people's, uh, and I, I just want to, you know, everyone, um, everyone does work so differently and all the people that you have, um, who are on this panel, um, all the other artists that are there, I'm like, so I was actually very kind of humble that you asked me because I was (laughs) no, seriously, some of the artists like Darcy's there and I'm just like, wow, these are like really, really like I, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't feel myself up to that, um, caliber just Uh, yet. So I think, I think you are. Otherwise, I wouldn't have asked you. But yeah, it's been really interesting interviewing all these people and hearing how they work and and their opinions on some of the same questions I asked you. It's it's Mm -hmm. a very interesting variety. I've learned so much from all of these people. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited. I can't wait to. How many more do you have to go? By the way, I have I have one more for this bridal panel. Okay. And uh, but I think I'm going to start releasing them now. So just to Mm -hmm. kind of uh, get it out there. Okay. Oh, that'll be exciting. Yeah, it'll be a good follow-up to my interview with Nita. Yeah, (laughs) that'll be great. I have to actually listen to that. I haven't listened to it. I've been wanting to listen to Uh, that interview with Nita. So actually, I might do that right after we get off the phone. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's really (laughs) Yeah, exactly, in case you're not sick of it yet. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, it was really fun interviewing Nita. And I actually, because I was interviewing her around the same time I was interviewing all you guys for the bridal panel, a lot of my questions were the same ones I was asking you. So she's yeah. kind of like the fifth member of this panel. So Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again, Samaya. It's been really interesting. And I uh, hope to meet you in person. It's my pleasure. <laughs> okay. Right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. So was I right? Can Samaya talk or what? I love that she talks fast and yet she conveys her ideas so well. Even though I sat and listened to her talk as I was editing, I still feel like I could listen to this episode a few more times and take some more notes and learn a lot. 
She's really incredible, just full of great ideas. And what I thought was really interesting is how she's willing to reinvent herself in a new town and do things that a lot of us only did when we first started out. It's really cool that she's willing to go out there and do that kind of stuff to build her business. And it does seem to be bearing fruit. So her advice is really good for all of us. So stay tuned for future episodes of this bridal panel. We have three more people coming up and each of them offer their own perspectives on the work of doing bridal Mendy. It's been really interesting interviewing them. As always, I want to thank Nash Kurm for the photo, Shlomi Cohen for the music and technical support, and uh, please stay tuned for future episodes. Thanks. Bye.